We're looking at John 11, so if you've got your Bibles there, it's also going to go up on the screens. And reading from verse 25, John 11, 25 to 44. This is the whole section to do with Lazarus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said to her, Martha, that is, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come, yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, they followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. What a picture that must have been. <laughs> well, today we're carrying on in our series on healing and wholeness. And today we're thinking about presence in the pain. And I think pain is one of those areas where uh, we all face pain. We try to manage it. We try to find coping mechanisms. But we don't easily speak about it. And I think it's important for us to do so. Um, it's a little like an inflamed boil on the skin that if it's ignored, it will affect the whole body. And pain, whether it's emotional mental, physical, or even spiritual has the same effect. Theologically, the problem of pain comes under the heading of theodicy, 
Spent three years of my uh, academic career doing my first degree looking at theodicy, the problem of pain, and the necessary defense of an omnipotent and perfectly benevolent God in the face of evil and suffering in the world. And don't worry, I'm not going to compound three years of study and everything else <laughs> into 20 or 25 minutes. Um, but that, that is essentially what theodicy is, or in the words of Milton's famous preface to Paradise Lost, theodicy means to justify the ways of God to men. Well, over the years, many people have tried to do that, taking the classical view, which Augustine did, that God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo, and he did not create evil and is not responsible for it. Evil is not an attributed existence in its own right, but he described it as a privation of good, if you like, a deprivation, a corruption of God's good creation. And of course, others have challenged this view by saying that if God is omnibenevolent or good, he would want to get rid of evil, both moral and natural. And if he's omnipotent or powerful, he'd be able to do so. And whilst many of these arguments have been debated over the years in the ivory towers of academia, there is a reality of pain which we all experience day by day. And into this reality, there are a myriad of questions for us that our faith has to engage with. And probably, ultimately, the question for us as Christian believers is, why does God allow us to suffer pain? And where is God in the midst of it? Again, we turn to the Bible for answers. And I recognize that it is such a big subject. And when we look at everybody here, when we compound together, bring into, if you like, uh, the mix, all the different experiences we have, I know I'm only going to be able to scrape the surface, but I hope that there will be some truths and also some applications that we can leave with that will be encouraging and life-giving. The first thing to say is God did not promise an easy life. At the beginning of Genesis, chapter 2, the Garden of Eden was the perfect place to live. It had everything for a pain-free existence, including health and wholeness. And then we see at the end of chapter 3, Genesis 3, having been thrown out of the garden, life was anything but perfect and pain-free. When Adam and Eve tasted uh, the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they allowed sin to enter into their lives, and they also opened the door to hardship and pain, not just for them, but for all of humanity. As God said to woman, in pain you shall bring forth children, Genesis 3:16, and to man, in toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I am not qualified to talk about the pain in childbirth. I wouldn't even begin to do so. I have no idea what that pain looks like or feels like. But the toil, we know something of that. But what's interesting with the Hebrew words of pain and toil, it is that which is painful and hurts. It is that which causes pain and sorrow. In other words, God did not promise an easy life outside of the Garden of Eden. And hardship and pain has been 
characteristic of life ever since. In fact, when we look through Scripture and we see God's plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, there are two motives that stand out above the rest. And they are suffering and sacrifice. I guess we would kind of naturally want, if you like, uh, the motives at the top of the list to be blessings and happiness and peace and pain-free living and all of those kind of things. But it's actually suffering and sacrifice that takes the top spot. And it's epitomized in the life of Jesus. And for many people, it's hard to reconcile this as being God's plan. Even to many people, such, if you like, a theology is offensive. But as one writer puts it, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. And when we try to rely on the mind and reason alone to explain pain and suffering, especially when it comes to God, the end result is often abandoning one's faith. We cannot argue these things alone. And part of the reason, maybe all of the reason, is there is so much more to this question than reason. In fact, greater than any argument anyone can present, in favor or not, is presence. It's the presence of God in the midst of pain. It's the presence of our loving Heavenly Father holding us as we mourn. It's the presence of our healing Jesus standing with us as we suffer. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit comforting us, filling us as we live in this fallen world and face the inevitable pain that comes our way. The reality of God's presence with us, regardless of any reason or rationale we can offer. And we see this clearly in the life of Jesus. See, we know this. Jesus wasn't born in a palace as the king of kings. That's what we would have done if we were behind the plans. That's what we would have chosen. Jesus was born into poverty. And at a very early age, he was fleeing for his life as a refugee on the run. And then as a teenager, we don't know exactly when, but he and his family knew the pain of death and loss when his father Joseph died. And he would have known the responsibility of taking on the family business as a carpenter. And then with a change of career, if you like, going into his ministry and mission, his family were not supportive of him at first. And even his own people in Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff when he preached his first sermon in the synagogue. Thank you for not doing the same with me. And you know, for all the good that he did, all the healings, the amazing miracles, signs and wonders, restoring hope to so many people, he still faced the aggression and the threats of the religious authorities. You know, these were the people who should have loved and supported him, the pastors, if you like, of the community. And from them, he faced threats. They tried to undermine his ministry. They tried to silence his words. They tried to ultimately kill him and his mission. Jesus knew pain. As Isaiah puts it, he was despised and rejected by men. 
And we know what the pain of rejection and abandonment can do to us. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we see a bit of that in John 11, the emotional pain that he felt at the loss, uh, at the death of his friend Lazarus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. He knew the pain we feel when we lose someone close to us. He then spoke and taught about his suffering. For example, Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then after three days rise again. And he challenged his own disciples about taking up their own cross and losing their lives for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. And then again, as we know, in the most brutal and cruel way, he demonstrated such suffering by dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world and sacrificing his life for us that we might be forgiven and that we might be saved. See, Jesus knew and experienced pain more than any of us can imagine. He lived a life of pain. And of course, there's the question, why? Why did the Father allow him to go through all of this suffering and sacrifice? Why didn't the Father remove the pain from him? See, as a dad, that's what I want to do when my girls are in pain. You know, it's like, it's the most natural thing, isn't it? You want to do everything you can to take that pain away. However, and here we have an omnibenevolent God. He is all good. And an omnipotent God. He is all powerful. An all-loving God who could have provided a substitute in Jesus' place and could have removed the pain. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked the rhetorical question and kind of answers it himself. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And I find it interesting that it's a doctor, Dr. Luke, who records this traumatic and painful experience of Jesus literally sweating drops of blood. The pain that he went through. Why did God allow such pain? Why did he not remove it? Just as we could ask the same for us. Well, the simple answer And it's not simple in a brevity. It is simple in that a child can understand it. It's in Jesus' suffering that he won the battle over sin and death. And it's by his sacrifice, paying the eternal price that only Jesus could pay, that we are saved and we are set free. As Jesus himself said to the disciples when he rose again and he appeared to them, Luke 24, he said, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. 
It's like it had to happen. It was necessary. There was no other way. There is no other way. Or to put it slightly differently, this is God's way. And if suffering and sacrifice is God's way for us to be one with him and to have relationship with him, restoring all the mess of sin that we see over the years and we see today in the world and in our own lives, then as followers of this way, we shouldn't be surprised that we too are called to suffer and offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship, as Paul writes in Romans 12. In other words, as hard as it is for us to hear, pain is par for the course in all its many forms. We too are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And in doing so, we may know the pain of rejection. We too are called to lay down our lives for the sake of others. And in doing so, we may know the pain of loss. And even as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, in troubles, in in sicknesses that we face, in the trials that we encountered, Paul writes, he says, we're called to rejoice. That is a tough one. We're called to rejoice, knowing that when we are weak, then we're strong. And the allowance of pain. And if you like, I don't, I don't understand it, but it's like we all have an allowance of pain. The allowance of pain for me may be different to the allowance of pain for you. It's like, there's, I, I don't get it. It's kind of what is our, the thing that almost like God places in our, our laps of who we are and the lives that he's called us to live. But in this allowance of pain that we know and experience, and it's different for each one of us, this allowance should not be something that turns us away from God, but quite the opposite, that draws us nearer and closer to him. As Paul writes again, someone who knew so much pain in his life, in Romans 5, he says, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In other words, in the pain that we experience, God is present. Through every moment of pain and suffering, God is standing there in our midst. Kind of waiting for us to embrace his love, to receive his presence as we journey through it with him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for with me when it's good, with me when everything is going well, he's with me when I know the blessings of life, It's with me when I'm happy. It is so much more than that. With me through it all. And I love the way he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, a rod was like a stick about this long. 
and a shepherd would use it. Kind of to direct sheep to get them where he wanted, but actually more to defend from attacks of like wild beasts. And then the staff with a little hook. Here you little lamb, this way. <laughs> and it's interesting, the two together. There's protection. There's di- direction. There's guidance. There's that hedge. He's with us through it all to comfort. When Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, his message was clear. Go. Go to all nations. But what does he finish with? For behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And those two phrases are so significant. I am with you always, in and through everything. And it's like even to the end of the age when he comes again. There is never a moment in time when he's not with us. There's never a situation we face when he's not with us. There's never a difficulty where he's not standing there in the midst. Not just in the good and the happy times, but in the sad and the painful times. Jesus says to us, I am with you always. And in here in John 11, when Jesus tells Martha, remember Martha is grieving It's been four days. She's lost her brother. It's a close community. They're surrounding around them. There is grief and mourning in the community, in the air. And when Jesus says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, he is revealing to her his name, the same name that was revealed to Moses in the desert. I am who I am. But he's also revealing his character. He is completely, (laughs) excuse me, It is not COVID. (laughs) He's completely dependable and he's faithful. But you know, he's also declaring the truth that he is the I am in every situation we face. See, God's presence is our hope, even in the midst of despair. God's presence is our comfort even in the midst of grief. God's presence is our light, even when we can't see the way ahead and there's darkness all around us. His presence is our healing, even in the midst of our hurts. His presence is our peace, even in the midst of the storms. His presence is our love, even in the midst of fear. And his presence is our life, even in the midst of death. I am always with you. So how do we respond to this? And I know it is a really tough one. A tough subject to speak about, but more than that, to know the reality of what we go through. I mean, like all of us, I've known pain in many different ways. Physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, even spiritual pain. And for me, the latter spiritual pain is those times when my faith has been tested beyond what I feel I can endure. And I don't know whether you know that. You have this deep, it's like an existential ache in your belly. And you come before the Father, but you feel like you've just got nothing to offer. And I think, honestly, one of my, 
the most painful moments in my life was being with Tim and Jen, holding little Remy in my arms, praying resurrection life into his body, knowing that he'd gone to be with the Lord. I mean, on that devastating and traumatic night in the hospital, I know, we know, Jesus was there with us, standing in our midst. And I know Tim and Jen have shared already their their own personal testimonies, surrounding us, comforting, assuring that Remy was in glory with Jesus. Just unbearable pain that I felt, unbearable pain for Tim and Jen and the family. And yet with Jesus, somehow the unbearable becomes a little more bearable. Not because we have the answers. Not because we can rationalize or explain it all away. We can't. But because he is the answer. And we have his presence with us. His presence in the deepest pain. And we not only knew this, we saw this with the pictures that we were given, and especially for Tim and Jen. But also the way things happened that night, like the way the Holy Spirit like literally nudged Heather and woke her up and she saw the phone and we were able to just get up and respond and be there for Tim and Jen. And yes, there continues to be the mystery. The mystery about the pain that we all endure in life. And yes, there are the continual questions. God, why have you allowed this to happen? But he knows and he understands in our weakness. You know, Jesus came to live a life, and it was a life full of suffering and sacrifice so that we could have a life with him, as he says in John 10, in all its fullness, in all its abundance. And you see, fullness doesn't mean absence. As if something is missing. Fullness is fullness, it's everything. Fullness includes the happiness and the joys and the rejoicings and the blessings and the pains and the sadnesses and the grief and the suffering. But in the fullness of life that he brings, good and bad, perfection and pain, Jesus is faithful. And we can know, as Paul writes, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And the last time I looked in a dictionary, all things means all things. (laughs) You might want to check, but I think all things means everything. All things. In and through all things, Jesus is with us. And he's present in the pain. If I lean on this thing anymore, (laughs) it's the end of the talk. (laughs) 
I want to pray for us. We all have our own stories, testimonies. But I want to pray for every single person who is in pain. Because I believe Jesus wants to bring pain relief. And as I was just praying about this, just the sense that for some of us it is physical. And we're going to pray healing for that. For some of us it is emotional. And it may be to do with something you personally are facing or someone close to you is going through. For some of us it's mental. Mental pain, anguish, and all of those things that are associated. Some of us, you just, you can... Almost when it comes to certain periods of your life, you can't even go there with God. It is too painful. You're worried that the questions and the doubts might somehow be so offensive because deep within it's so painful. And I believe God wants to bring healing and pain relief to every single person here in pain. So what we're going to do, I'd like to invite the band up, but, and they will be receiving as well. Can we stand together? This may cause a little bit of chaos, but... I'm not too worried about that. If you are in pain, I would like you to either come to the front or move out, but just move from where you're standing. And there's a reason for doing that is, you know, it's like as I know in my own experience, you know, part of the healing journey is taking a step. And it's a step closer, if you like, metaphorically, but kind of you know, a step closer to Jesus. He knows what we're going through. He knows the pain that we're in. But I come and I take a step and say, Jesus, will you bring healing and pain relief to that depth, whatever's going on? So if you are in pain and you want Jesus to bring pain relief, take a step. And maybe, um, can we have a bit of music just singing over? Just You've got a song. Let's sing that song. That would be lovely. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to be the pain relief for you. So there will be some hands-on prayers. But actually, he's going to do the speaking. He's going to do the touching. As we saw last week, when the, the woman who was in pain with a flow of blood and she tried everything and she'd been suffering, she reached out and she grabbed Jesus' cloak and one touch of the king brought healing to her. And actually, what's interesting about that healing, which I didn't really touch on, is yes, it was a physical healing, but actually it would have been so much more than that. It would have been an emotional healing. All the embarrassment and shame that she would have had for 12 years as a woman in that community. And Jesus brought healing there. And then the mental pain. God, you know, I've spent everything. And some of us here in different situations, God, I've given everything to this situation. What more can I do? I don't have anything else to give. 
And it's like she was in that place which this is everything. I've just got one, one more place to go and that is Jesus. He is the only hope. And reaching out and touching his cloak, was the, it's like the last resort. It's, it's kind of the, the 11th hour, 59th minute, 59th second. It's like there's nothing else. And she reaches out and she finds healing in him. And I just want to encourage, whatever it is, he knows. You don't even need to tell him, but you might want to do that. But Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to come and be our healer and to bring the pain relief that we need. And so if you want that miracle touch, just come and just find a space and just move and uh, the band are going to be just singing over us and we're just going to just minister we're going to partner with the Holy Spirit it's not going to be long prayers or anything like that we're just going to be partnering with the Holy Spirit and asking him to come and to release that gift of healing if you are in pain don't leave it let Jesus today be your healer Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that you are standing in our midst. Thank you, Father, for your love as you hold us and embrace us. And we say, come and have your way. Holy Spirit, would you come right now that as people step out and move and, Lord, as they look to you to bring pain relief, that you would come and minister deep into our hearts, our minds, our souls and bodies, that which you have for us this day. And we trust you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you that you understand and know it all. We thank you that you know us intimately. So come, Holy Spirit, come and move in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, come and have your way.